Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-reg and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals. And it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrail, which is my next sponsor. Versatrail has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place. Not to mention, they do a lot on the feasibility side, which makes feasibility surveys a breeze. Check it out. This is a company that is going places. Versatrail. My next sponsor is Creo. I've been using Creo for years. They are eSource and eReg and CTMS and patient database and eConsent and so many more other things. And while they are not free, I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own, specifically DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee. And then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything else. Guru Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're listening, look in the show notes. You got to go follow Esther, Esther Howard. Um, she's got an amazing career. We're going to get into her career a little bit. And she's an entrepreneur that found a solution to retention issues. And we're going to get into that too. That's her company, Bezel. And she also does consulting for small biotechs and in a way like I do as well, even though I never wanted to, but it happens when you have a podcast, like you get into like interesting things like we were discussing. Um, but Esther's got an insane career. And why don't we just get into that a little bit? Like you got into the CRO world 
as a financial analyst. Yes. So you were the one doing budgets mm-hmm. on the CRO side, negotiating. Were you actually negotiating with the sites, or you were just coming up with the pricing? So I did. I did budgets for the sites and for the sponsors too. So yes, I sat down wow. with every all the stakeholders that were involved in any type part of the budget and um, and helped put it all together. You were at Premier. PRA. Sorry, PRA. <laughs> I have two studies with Premier, so I'm getting confused. PRA, which yes. got bought by Icon. Icon. Yes. So you were with PRA for 16 years, almost 17 years. Mm-hmm. At the C- big CRO. Lately, there's been noise around the future of the CRO. What are your thoughts on on this? Mm-hmm. As someone who's no longer working for a CRO, you can say whatever you want now. <laughs> I still have lots of friends in the CRO world, so I well, know. Well, yeah, no, no, no. Actually, um, I think that like with any company or with any industry, there's always going to be evolution and change and innovation. Um, and as we continue to make things better for, for people and for our companies, um, yeah, there's going to be changes. So I think the CRO of today is already different than the CRO of 20 years ago and was definitely different than the CRO of five years before that. So it, right. the next, I think every year it's going to change. And so hopefully um, we will continue to continue that change and the CROs will continue to look different and maybe not even be called CROs um, down the road. Who knows? But, but research the, will always be there. Research will always be there. Will sites always be there? Yeah. Hundred percent. There, that's up for debate. That I don't know. I can't that's debate up. that. There's always going to be sites. <laughs> I feel the same way, but yeah. there are. There, I mean, on LinkedIn, there's an opinion on everything: the future of CROs, the future of sites. We'll get into that a little bit, but yeah, technology is, I guess, super important part of your career. Yes. Um, maybe even like unintentionally. Mm-hmm. You were talking in our other video. We did a shorter video, guys, by the way. Uh, on the importance of networking and every stage of your career, you've networked, yes. gone out of your way to network. And as your CRO, PRA was acquiring tech companies so that they could evolve. Mm-hmm. You networked with the founders of the technology PRA bought, mm-hmm. Parallel 6. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And that planted some seeds for you, for, for Bezel. Yes. So this is a segue for, first of all, give a shout out to all our sponsors. They're all tech companies. So it's Viva, but you guys know Viva. Free site, e-reg for sites, Creo, eSource. They're trying to disrupt the industry by getting rid of EDC, or at least making it easier. Uh, Inato, BizDev for sites, so getting studies for sites for free. Uh, and then Versatrail, which I was talking to you about off camera for keeping sites organized and helping with feasibility. All these are tech companies. Yes. All these are site-centric tech companies. So I think that's been the shift lately in the last, I don't know, five years? Yeah. Because if you think about like Parallel 6 and you think about all the other tech companies of 10 years ago, none of them were site-centric. Those were CRO-centric tech that got bought out. And 
all these new ones, they're all site-centric, and yours included, right? Mm -hmm. Or would you consider yours site Yours is patient-centric. Mine's patient-centric with, with a engagement with the site, for sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I went as far as all the way to the patient. So the, all that, not to, not just to give the sponsors a shout out, but it's the CRO's leverage tech to evolve. I think we're in the era now of sites leveraging tech, at least the smart sites mm -hmm. leveraging tech. Some of it's free, like four of these, three of these four I mentioned are free for sites to evolve, to act bigger than they are, to be able to do more yeah. than they would otherwise without these things. So I think that's super important. Uh, what is your take on, on tech as a tech founder, entrepreneur <laughs> in the space? So I don't know. I think I have two pretty strong opinions on tech. One is I don't like tech for tech's sake. I like tech as a tool. Mm -hmm. And I think not having a tech background has helped me use tech in a very uh, pragmatic and logical way so that um, we're not just developing shiny objects and then going and looking to see who can buy them. Um, and, I, and I'm just to like go back to your first question too, I think it's really cool that um, there's all these tech companies coming up and finding new ways of solving problems to support sites because that in of itself is going to push the CROs to continue to innovate and do a better job and evolve and change. Um, maybe one day we'll get rid of monitoring completely and that will be a huge change for do you CROs. Think we're, well, I don't think we're close. Do you think we're close? I think we're closer than we'd like to admit. I mean, I, I'm the optimist. I think that monitoring has a place for certain aspects of the study, but as we get companies like Creo and, and other companies that I work with, so I'll just put a plug in for Yonalink because I, I really support them and I think that they're doing Brad a great job. Brad Hightower likes them too. I think yeah. that's the one Brad likes. Yeah, Brad Hightower, yeah, he does. And so I think um, there's all of these companies that are coming at it and finding ways to bring data in um, without the need to have to check it afterwards. And why wouldn't we want to push for that? I think even CROs want to push for that, even though that's a big bulk of their revenue. And I had a little LinkedIn conversation with someone a couple weeks ago about exactly this topic. Um, and um, But I think we're much closer than, than people, want to admit. people want to admit. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm too much into it, but this is coming from a former CRA, a former in-house CRA, project manager, lead CRA. You've done just about every role at the CRO level, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I first, when you start with with finance as the backbone of your career, That's um, crazy you look at things differently than if you start um, with like biology or a medical background as the backbone of your career. So I look at things with a different lens. And that's probably why I like technology so much because I'm always looking for efficiencies and how to do things better, more accurately and faster. And You've always looked at this, like well, even when you were yeah first started. So that was one one of our jobs as financial analysts at PRA was to look for efficiencies, to find ways of doing things better, so that we are more competitive as a company and sponsors want to work with us, and also so that we are more profitable in how we're doing it. What kind of things were you guys were you looking at when you were financial analyst? What I like one of the examples I like to use is in monitoring, um, because back then. Oh man, um, I think when I first joined PRA, 
the system that we were using to write trip reports when they did monitoring was in Microsoft Access. So it was like this very... I never even used it. Jumbled up. I mean, it was like very um, time consuming to, um, first of all, learn. So monitors would write not in Word, but in Access? They wrote it in Access at PRA. Um, wow. And the reason for that is because Access is actually really cool. So Access, if you don't know Microsoft Access, it's a re relational database and everything is linked somewhere to a unique identifier. And so once you write a trip report into, um, in, into Access where it has a unique identifier going back to that particular study, then you can archive it better. Uh, and I always thought that was brilliant, but it was an incredibly cumbersome way to write a trip report. So then CTMS systems started to get built and, and then they started writing their trip reports in um, CTMS or like whatever system. I don't even know what they use now because I've, I've been out of the game for a while. But, wow. um, but just think about trip report writing. So one of our biggest overburns as a CRO was in trip report writing because we were budgeted, I think, for maybe two hours, and it would take them sometimes six to eight or ten or more for hours. For the monitor to write, to write the, report, the entire report. Like the IMV report. Mm -hmm. And then the, what, did that include revisions that the lead CRA right. would? And so sometimes the revisions were extensive, and some, yeah, depending take, on their training, and on. sometimes they were nice and quick. I see. Um, and there was always. But it was all that was budgeted two hours. Two hours for that. And in part. reality, that takes a lot longer. Yeah. So if you're a, financial, a good financial analyst, you're going to go and talk to the lead CRA and the CRA and the project manager and, and find out what their pain points are and facilitate discussions to try to help bring that time down and help PRA like, become more efficient and do a better job of writing trip reports. So wow. I, always, I didn't know anything. I used that as wow. a way to learn the industry as well because I didn't know anything about monitoring, I just knew that they were overburning their budget. So I went and interviewed all the stakeholders for trip reports and learned as part of your job, as part of my job. Yeah. But like going above and beyond your job. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. So you got in your first role, you got a chance to see the inefficiencies like of the entire pro almost like a lot of the process. Yeah for the entire process. There probably wasn't a part of the process that I would have missed because I was assigned to a lot of studies and um, so I had a lot to learn about the industry. And then when you mon you monitored as well. I did only to check a box. I, needed, I wanted to be a lead CRA so they said in order to be a lead CRA you have to monitor. Um, so I went and I did the monitoring that was required to then How be long do you found. have to monitor? Like they made me do um, a number of visits in different therapeutic areas and um, under the guidance of, of some a senior CRA. So I think I did a total of maybe 12 visits in, in oh, my entire good. life. <laughs> Not bad though. Yeah. So I didn't know you could do, so they, they would let you do lead CRA as long as you did a few IMVs. Yeah, so that was pushing the envelope as well. Um, PRA actually had a policy where you had to monitor for two years before right, you could be a lead right. CRA. That's what I've been hearing. Like, um, And that's more typical. So fortunately, PRA at the time was a fairly small company still. And um, in order to support my career, uh, we actually kind of rewrote some of the policies to help people in their career progression because they recognized that 
um, some of the skills from being financial analyst um, applied to being a project manager. But in order to be a project manager, you still had to know clinical operations. So in order to get experience in clinical operations, they had to be creative in the rules and the process to get there. And we kind of, mm. me and several other people um, at the company that also wanted to go down that route um, formed a little committee. <laughs> You can call you it. guys formed it. We did. We all talked amongst each other and said, this is what we want to do. And we got the support of the senior management and they supported it. And uh, because yeah. in our last video, you brought up like how your career trajectory and sort of how you were able to progress rapidly. And everything like the timeline seem atypical from what I yeah. normally hear from people. I think that's the theme I'm getting from your career journey is atypical like yeah it was faster than normal mm -hmm. and that's not by accident that's because mm -hmm. you did certain things i yes i found advocates so People. it boils down to networking yes 100 percent. everything is networking which when you if someone's well, i already know because i get messages a lot about that and they think that when i say hey just do more networking they think that i'm being lazy in my answer like just to get them to stop talking. Yeah. And, but it's true, like. Yeah, networking, the best advice, and I think I mentioned this in the our other video, the best advice I ever got in my entire career was make time for networking. So it's not something that you're like, okay, I wanna be a project manager tomorrow, so I'm gonna go find the person that can get me there tomorrow. That, it's, it's not like that. Sometimes networking involves learning things that you didn't even know that you didn't know. So I consciously, every single month, I spend at least one to two hours meeting new people or networking and-, and, and When you were up here? No, even today. I one started to networking the day I was told that networking would help me. And I learned from it. I le you learn about what other people's backgrounds are and how they came up in their careers or you, even there's even personal development that you get from networking. But to help your career, to help my career, um, when I was told networking would do that, I started seeking out the people that I admired and trusted and asking them for some time to talk about their careers and if no, they who, had suggestions. Who told you that networking. about networking? Uh, Michael Brooks. He's now the chief operating officer of Cineos. And really? he was at Pure at the time. And, um, what and was he, he back then? Like, well, he was, I forget his role at Pure. Um, he had a, his role involved, but he was one of the executives. Okay. And when he started, when he joined Pure, um, he, um, he called me because I was responsible for one of Pure's largest accounts, actually the single largest study that the company had had. And, um, and I had the conversation with him. Before that, the person that told me I needed a, um, a mentor or like some somebody that would um, vouch for me and, and and be my advocate, that was Sarah Taylor. She was from the early days of, of PRA. So it's just... So these two people yeah. that you respected told you that a lot of people, maybe it's because of who told you that. Yes. Yeah, but a lot of people of dismiss when someone says, oh, just network more. Mm. Networking is key. And there's so much you can learn. <laughs> so like the practical, so you broke it down like practically. And yes. now with LinkedIn, this was before LinkedIn. This is before LinkedIn. Now it's so easy to know. Yeah. You can do one to two hours you said a month? 
Yeah. You can do that a day if you want to yeah. on LinkedIn now. Yeah, easily. But it, it's just a matter of actually taking that and making it as important in your career and your life as your actual job. So how would you define successful networking or best networking practices for people watching? Like, because a lot of people are going to hear this and say, okay, I'm just going to message like 100 people. Yeah, a day. Please don't do that. Because well, that's if, what they're going to do. I know. You're, I'm <laughs> really glad you asked the question because I don't want networking to be misunderstood. Well, now you'll get messages too. <laughs> Her LinkedIn don't, is underneath this. Don't profile. write an email and then copy and paste it and send it to 100 people and hope that two people reach back out to you. Don't do it that way. That, two people usually do reach They back will do that. Back. I know. I know. I know. But as, as a recipient, of those hundred of being you know that spam is what I call it yeah it's not the right that it's not the networking I'm talking about I actually spend time um, talking to people like you in the conversation that we've had today for example you've given me names of people that I should probably reach out oh, to yeah. and and meet we and, network without realizing right that we and so I immediately put those names into my notes and I will go and reach out to those people and say, hey, Dan told me to call you. No, like, yeah. not in those exact words, but in those yeah. exact words. And with a purpose, though, I have an objective to learn more about what they're doing to help give me ideas on what I need to, to know to do what I'm doing better. Um, and if I was in a corporation right now, if I was in a, a company where I needed to like maybe move around, I wanted to accelerate my career. No one's going to just come up to me one day and say, man, Esther, you've been doing such a good job. We're going to promote you today. No one's going to do that ever. That, that doesn't happen. And if it does, I don't know of when those examples are. So they must be rare. People don't get promoted just because they get noticed. They get noticed because they have taken an active step to be noticed, to be heard, to ha put themselves at the table. Um, just like you did at PRA exactly. with, hey, I want to be a lead CRA, but our policy says this. Well, right. let's make a committee. Right. And so I talked to Sarah Taylor and she loved the idea. And then we brought in other people uh, and we and we talked to. And they would like it yeah. because their issue as a CRO is losing talent. They knew they were going to keep good talent. And they yeah. kept me for 16 years. 16 years, yeah. <laughs> so it worked. It worked. It was a win-win. I think I did a pretty good job for them. In that but there's situation. still so much turnover, though. And yeah. I mean... What do you think that is? like? I mean, at the end of the day, there's still going to be the headhunters that are going to call you yeah. and say, you're going to get you know, another five or ten or $20,000 if you come to this this uh, other they, company. They were hitting you up, too, no? I got headhunters constantly. And why you didn't switch? Because I liked my career trajectory. Ah. I liked the support I was getting. Quality of life is really important to me. Mm. I mean, money is great, but... Um, go leaving a company just for five thousand dollars is is not going to yeah. be in the bigger picture better for your life. And that's a typical yeah. too for this industry is like you stayed with them seventeen years, yeah. the same company. Yeah. Usually in the seventeen year, you take the average like CRO worker. Yeah. In seventeen years, they might go through like six to twelve companies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were and they hop one. around. Yeah. You were one. I really liked working for them I and I got a lot of support and um, and I knew who I needed to go to. Uh, every time you go to another company, you have homework to do. And that is who can get you 
what you need. So if I'm running a study and there's issues, who I can go to is the Rolodex of support that I've created for myself that I have to recreate every time I go to another company. So if you want to be an executive, it's not going to serve you well to like have to recreate that Rolodex multiple times every two years. I was very successful at my job and my clients really respected me because they knew that I could manage the issues and the risks going on in their study because I knew who to go to for what. And I had no problem going into the office of the person that I needed in order to get the help to solve the problem. So when, when do you think, like 17 years and in all those different roles, but in the same company, you saw so many different inefficiencies and problems. Mm -hmm. When did you first start get, get serious about the idea of, of, of your company? Of, of the app. Yeah, it was like, a, it was a personal moment. So I had a really good friend. So I mostly worked on clinical, on oncology studies. And um, so I became very interested in oncology specific research. And that became the thing that I knew the most. Towards the end of your... Yeah, uh, like it, it, during that evolution. And, um, and about three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago, one of my best friends died of colon cancer. She was young. Um, she was my age. She was so she was very young, actually. Yeah. She was my age. She was extremely yeah, yeah. young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In her twenties. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Teenager. Yeah. She um, she had a child, a two-year-old daughter, and I was very good friends with her. She and I had traveled around the world together, and like we we were very very close. So I was spending a lot of time with her in her last few weeks of life. And um, one day we were sitting on the couch together, and she said. Esther, um, everyone sees me as a cancer patient, but it's actually my mental health that I'm struggling with. She told you this. Mm -hmm. And that was bezel, and like I was the idea like, of her bezel wow. right there. And then she walked me through how all she really needed was for her life to be simplified, for her ability to communicate easier to her family and friends and get the help she needed, and for them to learn how to help her and have access to the tools of, in training that can help her. And fast forward three years later, that is now Bezel. Bezel so, is amazing. You were talking to me about it at the site. From what I understand, and I asked you to break down, like what's the biggest thing patients request when they're on this? They want to chat. They want to chat to people in their network, mm -hmm. but it's not as simple. Those people watching might say, well, why don't they just text them? Because it's the passive act of like requesting, hey, I'm feeling like chatting with somebody. Yeah. So now those that person's network who opted in yes. will get notified, hey, your friend just expressed they want to chat. Yes. So it gives them the option without making the person who's asking feel weird exactly about being a nuisance or a burden exactly that's the it's like passive requests it's so cool because they go into that sphere of support that they have and they click on just chat because now it's one of our drop down menu items mm -hmm. since, since it's so popular and in that one click it goes out to their network and then let's say you're in my network and several other people and you respond back and you click on the accept and you say, okay, I'm gonna reach out to Esther. Everyone else knows that I have the help I need. So it, there's no longer this cumbersome group text message chain yeah. that goes back and forth. 
Why would a sponsor pay for this, for their study? Well, if that was the only feature, they probably wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> but we, we look at it. Um, they still might. We, well, they, well, it's free. So yeah. anyone can download and use the Bezel app. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. go ahead and download and use the so, Bezel So like, just anyone can do yep. that? Yep. Anyone can do that part of it. Okay. That, that part, I want it to always be free because that was my friend's wish for the world. I gotcha. That people could get the help that they need easier. I'll download it right now. And um, so, so, but what a sponsor will love is our toolbox of support. So we don't just say, here's the Bezel app that we've got that everybody in the world uses. We look at that patient population and we think what would make their life simpler. And we add in other tools to support them and their caregivers, their friends and their family or anyone who is in their supportive network. So let's use the example of, well, do you want to use a cancer yeah. patient and a cancer sure. study? Let's say they're in a five, six year, you were talking earlier about attrition rates and cancer studies being terrible. Yeah. Right, like that's a huge problem. Patients are dropping out sooner than sponsors prefer. Like it's gotten to the point where the FDA is concerned about this. Or? Yeah, for long-term follow-up, it is a big problem because you have to follow some of those studies um, some of those patients for 15 years and it's a good problem to have in the industry because that means that people are living longer that's so right this is yeah. a good yeah. problem we yeah. need to solve it but it's a good problem mm -hmm. so now the fda is saying okay we want you to follow these patients for the survival, survival and sometimes yeah. subsequent therapies and other things for 15 years or even five years is a long so how does bezel keep them in longer like let's say instead of three years in they drop out now you got them in longer. Like, how does Bessel? Well, what's cool about the way we developed this app is that we link someone into the study, so then they have that experience, and then um, we de-link de them from that study, and we can link them into any other study. So if there's now long-term follow-up protocol, we link them into that, provide them with some basic tools and engagement to make it um, part of their life. So it's not like being on a clinical study, and it's using the app as part of their life to get the support that they need. And we make it fun too. We have some gamification, we have badges and things like that. We have this fun little mood tracker and we're always adding new features to you know, keep people wanting to use the app and support each other. What have the sponsor feedback been so far from well, so we just launched last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were only very early. Or super early. Um, but so far, my very first sponsor, his, um, I asked him why they decided to use Bezel, and he said, it's a no-brainer. It's more expensive for me to lose one patient on the study than it is for me to deploy your app across the entire study. Because it was a phase one study where patients were very sick and even just keeping them on for one month is going to be a concern oncology. for him. Oncology, yeah. And so he liked, what he liked about it was what? That they, this would help them in their life somehow? Yeah, so he said not only will it save us a ton of money because now we're, we know that you're going to be able to save us at least like prevent one patient from from dropping off early, but um, the second part of his statement was the most meaningful, and that is it's just the right thing to do to support mm -hmm. people and their lives and think past just that protocol and what we're trying to get from them. And you were saying off camera earlier when a patient comes in and interacts with their coordinator of a study. Yeah. 
they're not gonna tell them what's going on in their personal life or how they're doing like from a mental health perspective. Even if it's a mental health study, like we have some depression studies, they might in those cases, like, hey, I've had more anxiety because it's a, that context is expected. Right. right. But if it's like a arthritis study, which we have, they're not going to come in and say, hey, you know what, I've been feeling depressed lately. Like, it just feels weird for them to probably say that. Right. But if they have this app where they're putting that data in. Yes. The site becomes aware of it and yeah so that's the cool thing is we then provide those insights back to the site and to the sponsor um, the sponsor doesn't get to know who the patients are because that's right. important to for for the blinded part of it but um, the site does and then there can be a collaboration between us and the site to be able to be more supportive of their particular community of patients because they're arthritis patients, they're now complaining more about depression or um, they're, neat, they're, they're feeling lonely more or they're not able to get out as much. And so they're looking for activities that could help them in their um, daily lives that can replace old activities. So if you have arthritis, things that you did before, you can't do yeah. now and that's gonna get you down. So, hey, Maybe there's a meetup.com group near them that we can Google and find like some I see. hiking um, to suggest. Or, like, it's literally endless. So it's like sharing best practices yeah. of what works in yeah. different areas, different studies, and yep. you, or even non-studies just across all your user base. Mm -hmm. And we're going to learn stuff that we're not going to expect. So one of the things that I do with my time is I look at what are the things people are asking for um, on a regular basis, I look. And, um, and it's really interesting to see, um, obviously just chat is the most popular feature probably because it's a click, but there's a way you can just type in what you want to your, to your network. And, um, and I found some really fun, interesting, sad messages that they send out. And um, over time, I'll be able to trend those and and give those back to the community and be able to say across all of clinical research hey none of us expected to see this mm. and I don't even know what those things are yet it's somewhat related <laughs> to your financial analyst role at a CRO yeah like analyzing things or you, we were looking for the inefficiencies at the CRO mm -hmm. now you're maybe looking for inefficiencies in people's lives yes yeah that's a good way to put it mm. mm -hmm. that's interesting yeah it is Esther's LinkedIn is underneath this video. Thank you so much for coming out. Yeah. We got to talk more. I got to learn more about Bezel. Everybody go connect with her on LinkedIn. If you're listening, it's in the show notes. Anything else you want to say as we wrap up? No, I you're just, just getting started. Yeah, I know. I'm just getting started. Um, go to my website, bezel.com, B-E-Z-Y-L. Read the story about how um, I developed the name. You can look at that on the website. And that way I know you're going to go there because you're going to want to know where the story is. And um, it's all about people helping each other. It's pretty simple. There you go. So a little bit of networking, a little bit of patient retention, and a whole lot of good stuff, clinical research and otherwise. And something we don't think about enough is the mental well-being of, of our patients in our studies. Yep. When they're not mental health studies. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Just like your friend said, um, all right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Esther. Dan. Thank you for watching, guys. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye. <laughs>